My name is Dr. Asha Sefanit Wadasi. And like many people of African descent, I used to live in the UK, but I always had a dream which developed into a plan to move to an African country of my dreams. After traveling around several African countries on the African continent, I finally settled on Malawi, a small country the size of the UK, which is in the east side of the African continent. And I love it here. My podcast is about my life in Malawi, how I got here, how I'm managing to stay here, and some of the interesting things I get up to during my daily life. I also focus on helping you to break through with your own best life plans for living in your own hot country of your dreams or just having the life you want. I also look at your money freedoms, your job freedoms and many other things that can help you to get that best life. So stick with me as I take you through the Living Your Best Life in Africa experience. It's going to be a blast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast. You're listening to episode 127. So, 127 episodes in, and I still love doing these podcasts because I get to share the front and back pages of my life with you as a way to inspire myself, but also hopefully to inspire you to continue to go out there and grab your best life. So recently, I was having a discussion with someone from my 37 degrees of Malawi heat about living best lives. And in particular, we got on to old school days and how much they loved being at school and how much school influenced who they became in their adult life and also the choices that took them to the places where they operate today. And it reminded me of a time when I would have thought, really? Could I honestly say that my school days got me to where I am today, living my best life in Malawi? And at first glance, my absolute answer would have been categorically no. Why? Because I suffered terribly at school in the 70s and 80s. I went to Catholic convent schools and my memories of the harsh treatment myself and other African descent children received had me remembering all the times I tried to break out of school, not stay in it. Like the time when one of the white girls in my class bought a small miniature bottle of brandy to the French class, where I never used to try hard because the French teacher hated the fact that I came from a French-speaking background and I could understand the classes and could answer all the questions. And that made her mad. So she was really awful to me. Anyway, my friend brought this miniature bottle of brandy to the class and me not knowing what brandy was, when she told me it was like a warm cough syrup and that I should try some because I had a cough, I decided to drink some after she drank some and it did burn a hole in my chest and I did think I was going to die. Now, of course, the teacher only saw me drinking the brandy and I was taken out of class to the headmaster's office to be caned. Just me 
not my white friend. And I thought, remembering that as an inspiring experience, the first time I was ever caned? No. And then I remembered the time when Roots was on TV and I beat up a white boy in the lunch queue because he had the audacity to say to me, Kunta Kinti tie my lace. When I flattened the boy, I was punished severely for this and stayed hurt about this for years because I never received an apology for the way the boy had insulted me and the way the school had punished me. All the time when a different white girl told me on the way to the school chapel that blacks were monkeys and shouldn't be in church but in hell, after which I punched her in the mouth and had to be held back by the teachers who then punished me mercilessly for hitting her because she was a top girl in the school and a school prefect which was another way of saying that she was perfect something which I and other black girls in the school were constantly reminded that we were not or the time when as a champion Irish dancer at primary school <laughs> yes I was a champion Irish dancer. I was not allowed to win a competition because black girls were not supposed to win competitions. We were just there to make up the numbers. This is what I overheard some of the people at the competition saying. Or there was the time when I destroyed a nun's argument about the importance of Latin classes. And that nun, Sister Mary Collette CP, and she always insisted on the CP at the end of her name. Well, Sister Mary Collette CP, she called me a witch after I put my argument forward. And I laugh about it now as I'm telling you this, but I remember at the time being devastated and then refusing to study Latin, which really angered her because she was a rubbish teacher who only came to school to get paid and she was being pressured about her results. And I was one of her best students who was now refusing to validate her teaching because I refused to take the exam. All the time when I studied my socks off to get into the top set for maths, only for the teacher, Mr Jordan, to put me at the back of the class and refuse to teach me. He never came to check my progress with the work that he had set. He never allowed me to answer any questions. I was never invited up to his desk to have a formula explained. In fact, I was the invisible black girl in the class and he acted like I wasn't there. And so inevitably, I became that self-fulfilling prophecy who believed she was rubbish at maths and I was dropped not only from the top set, but every other set until I ended up at the bottom set for maths and ended up failing my maths GCSE and every other maths exam I ever took. Or the time when I was in sixth form and a white teacher came over to our lunch table and plonked himself down in the middle of our conversation and then turned to me and told me that blacks had no religion because every god we ever have is a murdering tyrant who leads their people into famine and war. I mean, 
I still remember this and I still remember the look on his face, that look of glee as he saw my surety drain from my cheeks to be replaced with a look on my face that could have killed him. I was that angry. And then the worm had the audacity to get up and walk away and go and sit with his white colleagues after his miserable work of putting us down was done. And from his seat of power, he ate his lunch while looking at me and laughing at my distress. Or the time when I was studying for my first degree and I was forced to listen to a white lecturer glorifying herself in the fact that she had done field research living with a backward tribe in dark Africa, which is how she described the people. And because she had done this immersive piece of work, she was now a recognised expert on immersive research and was now bringing recognition to a tribe of people who had no sense of identity or purpose and now were able to communicate in positive ways because of her. I mean, the cheek of it. And why me? My school days felt like everywhere I turned, these people were waiting for me and others like me to cut us down and steal any little joy we had. I hated school, apart from geography, which I loved and still love to this day, because my teacher, Mrs Sayers, was a very rare teacher who actually came to school to teach any and every child who turned up in her class. I also hated drama and I hated being told to pretend I was a baked bean on a slice of toast. I mean, why? I hated PE and being made to do sports that I now know were traditionally seen as black athletic sports, like athletics and cross country, some of which I liked. But the white girls in my school got to play tennis and badminton and table tennis and they did dance and ballet, all the things which I wanted to do. But in my school, I and others like me had these activities severely restricted. And these experiences are only the tip of the iceberg. And I'm sure if you reach back into your own school experiences, you can easily come up with your own soul-destroying experiences for that time. So you're probably getting the picture that school for me, at first glance, offered nothing that I felt had influenced where and how I'm living my best life today. I took no exams in protest and every piece of qualification I have now, I completed after I left school and after I could fight back. But then, after my first trip to Europe, I had a rethink and I asked myself the question about whether, if my school days had been a bed of roses whether I would have ever made the effort to find out what else existed behind that strong, influential Western education and that special, oppressive culture that shaped my young mind right into my early adult years. And I think the answer would have been no. 
if that racist culture and that racist education that I was subjected to had not been there, I do not think I would have been the person I am today. I think if your mind is made comfortable, either through the culture you inhale or the trinkets you are given access to, that help you to socially medicate yourself and numb the pain or quell any disturbance your mind is exposed to, then in fact, you're being helped to move towards contentment, almost like a type of self-limiting containment. And contentment and containment never encouraged a people to agitate for change, either in themselves or outside of themselves. So when I reflected on just how horrible a lot of my school experiences had been, I had a rethink, and only after rethinking my life story could I see that some of my experiences helped me to learn to fly under the radar. Those experiences taught me later in life that I had to pick my battles wisely because I could not fight all the battles I came across all at the same time. I learned that I had to choose my battles that bought me the rewards I needed at the time. And once I changed my mindset, I began to use those school experiences as markers telling myself that there are lines and levels beyond which I would work hard to never fall below and to support my children and my community to fly above them. So one of the first things I did to change my mindset was to start reading and start visiting other African communities in the UK where I used to live. This is really important because the kind of culture we live in in the UK focuses on making our worlds as small as possible, with much more focus on pumping our lives with all the trimmings and trappings we need to make us feel relaxed in our homes so we never leave except to do the school run or to go to work or to do the things that keep the roof over our heads. I found that once I began moving around the UK, I then wanted more and I then began visiting African countries just to look-see. And when visiting the continent, I found to my astonishment that the jungle savagery that was portrayed to me by my school teachers and by the culture around me, well, not only did it not exist, but it didn't exist in a major way. I found that in countries I visited like Ethiopia, Ghana, Egypt, Zimbabwe and Malawi, where I now live, people were and are thriving. I learned and adopted a special kind of resilience that people in African countries have, which is wrapped up in a can-do attitude. What I found was that even if people cannot do something you ask them to do, they will tell you that they can do it and then they will spend the whole of the time making it happen just to be in line for the next opportunity that might come around. It's so inspiring. 
I also started to fill my space with inspiring people so that I was the dumbest person in the room. Because doing this meant that I was always in a position to learn something from them. And I have been blessed to sit as a dummy in the rooms with some of the greatest African teachers in the world, all of whom shaped my image of me and what I could achieve by standing on the shoulders of those terrible school and social experiences. If only to know that from those experiences, the only way was up and into living my best life. So today, I encourage everyone to contrast whatever awful experiences you have been through or you are going through with what is going right in your life. Because there is always something going right that can plant that inspiration in you to want more of that thing. Today, I look at how people in Malawi who have had even less than the awful schooling I had and who have no welfare state at all, how people manage to create businesses, grow businesses, use business earnings to put their children through school, build their own homes, have their own food security, and with even less than this, still manage to cultivate a type of loving spirit that sees Malawians reach out to help those less fortunate than themselves. And it always reminds me to put my mindset into its right context. It's that old saying about what doesn't kill you actually makes you stronger. And the way I used to look back at the rubbish, which was at times my awful school experiences, well, that could so easily have affected my mindset and made me skew my own strengths and possibilities and to then go on to affect my future vision. And I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to look up. Today, Living your best life in Africa, for me, is more than just a physical experience of living in an African country. Today, over two years ago since I launched this podcast, Living Your Best Life in Africa represents all the opportunities that were never cultivated in me when I was at school. It represents today a can-do attitude that makes me search for more than what is begrudgingly offered to me by the culture in which I grew in the West. It offers an opportunity to explore beyond horizons that I never dreamed were possible. It represents a life of living in hot countries of my dreams that I never thought I would land in. It represents an inspiration that burns inside of me to reach out through the work I do to pull as many people across to enjoy their best lives. And it provides adventures that I truly wake up to every morning excited to be alive and ready to embrace. 
and I'll be sharing one of those adventures with you in about a month's time as I journey to yet another African country that I've never visited before to bring you stories about what your best life can look like if you visit too. I'm so excited. I can hardly wait to get there. You're going to need to stay tuned to find out which country I'm going to visit and what I'm going to be doing there. So in the meantime, focus on creating your best life plans so that you have something to aim for, something to look forward to and something that will set your world on fire in a way that you never thought would be possible. For all the sacrifices we have faced, living in what can often be a hostile culture which at times resembles a war zone, you know what I think? That we owe best life plans and fulfilling the lives that we think we can only dream about. To me, I feel we owe that to ourselves as the very least we can do. So for me, remember to love yourself first because I want for you what I always wanted for myself and that is the opportunity to live the life of your dreams, to live your best life without apology. So go on and fly. You've been listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast. My name is Dr. Asher, and until the next episode, I'm 